0: All right. Um Matthew 5:21 and 22. This um Jerry, yes, do we need to go get Um well they're on the ground, it's gonna take them probably an hour, I guess, to clear customs and get their bags, so I would think so. So soon. We can uh, we can go by 20 minutes here if y'all want. I'll let you out early. How's that? Uh this section begins a new a new section. We've been talking about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And really the rest, the rest of this Sermon on the Mount is a development of that idea. It's, it's expounding upon that. It's, um, the Beatitudes give us a general description of the essential nature of the Christian. And then he begins to tell us about the function and purpose of the Christian in this world. So it brings to light a question of if, if we're talking about the function of a Christian in the world... Then the next question is, is there any relationship between the law in the Old Testament and Christianity in the New Testament? You know, is there any relationship, do you have a relationship as a believer with the law in the Old Testament? Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay? You want to elaborate a little bit? Tell us why you think that? What that looks like? Sorry. Okay. Sorry. The, well, the Beatitudes. The, the Uh, Jesus says that it's um, developing. I think it is. Yeah, I mean that's right. It, it is. He also says, I mean what you have, you've got <clears throat> you've got another version of the law here. You get the Pharisaical kind of in here too that, that has been added to the Old Testament law. This is the traditions. This is the things that they've they've added because remember they're trying to figure out a way to keep the law. They know they can't keep the Mosaic law. They're trying to find a way that they can put it in uh, quantifiable terms where they can keep it. Alright? So they're, they're trying to dilute it. And the question here in verses 17 through 20, 21, 22 is Jesus... Making a comparison to the the mosaic law, or is he making a comparison between uh, his people, kingdom people, and the Pharisaical law? and most people believe that he's he's making a contrast a comparison with the the Pharisaical law because it's a false law, it's not true he he says I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. I came to be the fulfillment of the law. So we know that he's not not, uh, working something here that's contrary to the law. So what is he doing? He's looking at what the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees have done to the law. All this traditional stuff they've added to it. And he's saying this is a false teaching. This is a a false teaching. Uh, Idea of the law. The law was never intended to be these things. So what he's doing is is painting for us a picture uh, the difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. The spirit versus the letter of the law. The Pharisees were majoring on the letter of the law. Okay? I told you last week I think it was about you know, how much could you do? How much work could you do on the Sabbath? You know, you could take so many steps. You could go 2,000 steps in the course of the, the Sabbath day. And in order to get around that, they would tie a rope to the house because those 2,000 steps could come outside the home. And if they had this rope, then they were essentially extending the perimeter of their home so however long the rope was those were steps that they were gifting themselves and didn't count against what they were allotted for the day so this is what they were doing they were focused on the letter of the law so they were legalists all right and jesus is teaching here it's not about the letter of the law it's about the spirit of the law and what does the spirit of the law command what's the spirit of the law trying to encourage us to do Sir, honest intent. intent? Yeah, I mean, uh, the the spirit of the law is all about a relationship, right? It's about a relationship between God and His His creature that He's made. The law is telling us what it what it means to be in this intimate communion with God. This is the spirit of it, okay? Not the letter. They were focused on the law as as the end of its own means, a means to its own end. And Jesus is saying, that's not it. The law is portraying to us a relationship between us and God. So the spirit of the law is what we're after. What does that relationship look like? What should that relationship look like? It's about the condition of the heart, isn't it? The spirit of the law is about the heart. The letter of the laws is about what goes on externally, what I do and what I don't do. And that's the point he's trying to make. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Lloyd-Jones says, looking at it broadly, we can say that in the remainder of chapter 5, he is concerned to do this in terms of a true exposition of the law over against the false exposition of the Pharisees and the scribes. His main concern in chapter 6 is to show the true nature of fellowship with God, again in contradistinction to the Pharisaical teaching and practice. Then in chapter 7, he's concerned to show true righteousness as it views itself and others once more contrasted with what was taught and practiced by the Pharisees and the scribes. And he gives us six particular statements as a true accounting of the law. And he says, you've heard it said. You've heard it said, these things. But they were, this group here in the middle is taking, taking these things and distorting them and making it all about the letter, the legalistic view of this. You must do this. You must do it this way. You can't do this and those kind of things. And Jesus takes that and and blows it up and he does it by expounding on it. He says, it's not just about whether you've committed adultery. Adultery is the act of adultery, but he's saying it's a condition of the heart. Have you lusted after someone, not your wife, desired someone, not your wife or your husband? You've committed adultery because it's the want to of the heart. And he, so he's making this this clear distinction here uh, for his audience to hear because they were all schooled in the law; they understood the law. You have heard it said. You have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not murder." You have heard that it was said, "You shall not commit adultery." It was said also, "Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce." Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, "You shall not swear falsely." This is what he's doing in the following section. You move back up to verse 20. Verse 20, he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he starts unpacking this. What does that mean? The rest of the Sermon on the Mount is designed, is written, is preached to expound upon verse 20. What does it mean to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees? Well, you've heard it said that, you shall not commit adultery. But I say unto you, what is adultery? These guys got the wrong idea of what adultery is. These guys got the wrong idea of what murder is. These guys have got the wrong idea of all these things, these rule breakings. They've reduced it down to a legalistic measurement kind of thing. And Jesus is saying it's about the status of the heart. And so that's what... That's what this is all doing. And he's, he's got these six illustrations that he's using to prove his point. So the question arises, is he merely pointing to the Mosaic law or the Pharisaical expansion of the law? We believe it's the Pharisaical expansion of the law. Um, it's not a lot of difference going on here. We've seen these kind of things happen before. In fact, the same kind of thing was taking place... Um, At the time of the Reformation, the Catholic Church was focused upon keeping the people under the bondage of legalism, not allowing them to read the Word of God for themselves, but to interpret it for them. It was written in Latin. No one could read Latin. And the Reformation was all about getting the Word of God into the common people's hands so they could read it for themselves. Same struggle goes on today. I mean, we still see it today. Churches... Take liberties, ways where they focus on the letter of the law, they focus on, these, on the, the legalistic side of things, and they miss out on the spirit of what following, you know, what life in Christ is supposed to be. Uh, we've, got them, we've got them today. The Catholic Church is still doing it today. They, pract- they reenact the crucifixion every week when they do Mass, it's a reenactment of the crucifixion every week. So I've been asked before, if you are a Christian and you were a Catholic, can you still go to a Catholic church? It's a loaded question, right? Because we're going to make people mad when you tell them the truth. But the bottom line is, is if they're practicing mass and you're really a really believer, how do you reconcile that? Because Jesus said it's finished. It's done. It doesn't have to be done. Hebrews says it was once for, once for all completed. He went in and completed the sacrifice once for all, it doesn't have to be reenacted over and over and over. It's finished. so the things that they're holding to traditions over against truth we have we have others we have um, uh, probably plowing too close to the corn on some of these things so uh, but hey. You've got you've got um, you've got denominations. You've got churches that that do not adhere to the Word of God, but they adhere to traditions. They adhere to experiences. Uh, charismatic Pentecostal denominations have blown. They they got no time for the Word of God, no interest in treating it seriously. What do they look for? They're looking for experience. That's why they focus on speaking in tongues. They focus on miracles. You've got people like a Benny Hinn that will admit that he's a fraud, but he keeps on doing it because he's making a lot of money at it. But when you try to bring them to the Word of God, they, they don't want to go there. They, they don't want to submit themselves to that final authority. And and you have the same problem going on uh, then, as you've got going on now in lots of, lots of quarters, it's just a problem. Spirit of the law, letter of the law, legalism. These things that supposedly rebel against the authority of the word of God actually end up oppressing people more than when you, when you follow into the spirit of the law, into relationship with Christ. That's where you find true freedom. That's where you find true liberty. I'm trying to hurry up to y'all, so bear with me a minute. Um, so Jesus is calling out these people who are speaking untruth into people's lives. He's made, He makes an extraordinary statement here when he says, now I don't know if this hit you, but if you think about it, it will. He says, you have heard it said. You have heard it said of old that they spoke to these things. And what does he follow that with? How does he contrast that? What, he makes an about face. But I say to you, do you get what he did right there? I mean, right there in that moment, he, you'll hear people all the time that will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, he did right there. He did right there. He interjected himself in to this equation with full authority. You have heard it said. He's referring to the law. You have heard it said these things. But I say to you. But I say to you. This is is what it means. This is what I intend. I am interpreting to you the law of Moses. He's saying. And it is what is true. Not the Pharisees and the scribes. But it's even more profound than that. I who am speaking to you. Am the very one who was responsible for the law of Moses. It is... It was I who gave it to Moses, and it is I alone, therefore, who can truly interpret it. So he's claiming to speak as God, not merely as a teacher or prophet, but as God, as divine. It's clear in these verses he's not setting up a new code or a code of ethics. He's manifesting the true spirit of the Mosaic law now fulfilled in kingdom life through him. So he unpacks these examples of how the law is made manifest in kingdom people, um, you know, we like we like the literal. We like the black and white. Tell me exactly what you want me to do and that's what I'm going to try to do. But, but he's changing that dynamic. Uh, these six illustrations point to this one primary truth, the real spirit of the law. Now, there are five principles at work here that I think are worth noting. One, the spirit of the law is what matters primarily, not the letter. We've established that, right? Secondly, Conformity to the law must not be thought of only in terms of actions. Conformity to the law must not be thought of only as conformity through action. Okay? It's about the condition of the heart. The attitude of the heart. Not just what we do or don't do. Alright? Thirdly, the law should not be thought of only in negative terms, but also in positive terms as well. It's not about what the law forbids us to do, but what the law allows us to do. What it encourages us to do. The purpose of the law expounded by Christ is not to keep us in a state of obedience to oppressive rules, but to promote the free development of our spiritual character. And fifthly, the law of God and all the ethical teachings in the Bible must never be viewed as an end in themselves. It is the doorway, the portal. It is the, the arena in which our relationship with God is on display. So let's take. Let's take the Ten Commandments. Let's take the Mosaic Law. And let's think about those. Here, here they are. In, in short order. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Or any likeness. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Or any likeness. Just think about that a little bit. You know if we're thinking about the letter of the law think about puts a different light on passion plays puts a different light on videos um, pictures you know I don't know if we've got any of those in the building anywhere or not but you know those pictures of Jesus he's got the halo and all that stuff you know Caucasian Jesus right 3D pictures from the 60s. Yeah. Velvet Jesus. Uh, that was Rob Bell in it. Um, <laughs> but you know, what are we what are we doing there? Those things, you know, isn't that creating an image of something? I mean, we're we're creating an image. It's not like it's a snapshot. Nobody's got a snapshot of Jesus when he walked the earth, right? And even if we did, why why is it we have to have that? What are we doing? We're focusing on something here visually that's not reflective of what Christ desires for us which is the heart the the soul the relationship not be focused on externals you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain it's not just when you when you use profanity but you know those little you know those little cartoons when they they want to curse and they put those little Symbols up in the little cloud that nobody, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. But but we all know what it means, right? So, we substitute words that are tolerant in our society, right? OMG. You know, we use those things to express the same emotion, the same attitudes, as if we used the real words. So, aren't we profaning? Aren't we isn't our attitude i mean let's let's do this anger you know frustration over not getting my way and i don't i don't curse but i slam my fist or i isn't that the same attitude as if i had said something aren't i you know angry really ultimately at god because isn't he sovereign over everything and i didn't get my way so ultimately my attitude is venting toward him isn't it mm-hmm. now i'm not saying these things to put us in a guilt trip here because we're, we're all guilty right we're all guilty but what i'm saying the purpose of this law was much more than what you know hanging up on a courthouse wall and saying well you know we keep the ten commandments do we We don't really, do we? We don't, do we? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. So how do you obey these commandments? Well, for one thing, you don't practice polytheism. Do you? Or do you? Do you worship a lot of gods? You would admit it. Right, just college football. Man. Just college football. Yeah, <laughs> college man, football, sports, like money. We 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 wouldn't admit it. Most of us would claim to be monotheists. We 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 worship one God. Right, so we don't have any other gods before you, but in truth, we do. To your one point, god many idols. well, an idol's a god. It's something that we worship and hold up in greater esteem than God on many occasions. Do you have carved images at home that you worship? No, but you know, most of us don't have, we we worship ourselves, I mean, aren't we, you know, if it comes down to choosing between serving or, you know, pampering myself, a lot of times I'm going to pamper myself, right? Cuz it's easier, it's more it's comfortable. I I want it, right? Do you take the Lord's name in vain? Do you honor the Lord's day? And it's not just that I do any work on the Lord's day, but did I really pursue holiness? Did I pursue worshiping Him? Or did I pursue other things? So you, you see... Are we teaching our kids that there's something different about this day? Yeah, and we're not, are we? In fact, we're teaching them that this is the day we catch up on all of our recreation and stuff, right? That's, that's kind of what we do. And the Vikings are attacking them. <laughs> so you've heard me say this before These, the ten commandments are grouped in two parts the first four commandments focus on our vertical relationship with God and then the next six focus on our horizontal relationship one with another and basically Jesus summarized the law when he was asked what's the greatest commandment and he said love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and soul he said, these first four things in the Mosaic law, this is what I'm saying. You do that. And there's a second one likened to it, you love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, he said, you got to keep the law. You got to be law keepers. You, you got to keep the whole law of God. Isn't that what he said to the rich young ruler who came up and said, how do you get to heaven? And, the guy, and Jesus said, well, you've heard about the law. Oh, yeah, the law. I keep the law. Jesus said, oh, do you? Well, good. I'm glad to know that. Go give away all that you've got to the poor and come follow me. Well, what did he do? <laughs> he just tested him on both counts, and he failed both of them, didn't he? No, I love my money more than I love you, and I'm certainly not giving it, giving it away to all these other people. So Jesus said, well, I thought you were a law keeper. Well, I keep the letter of the law, but Jesus said the spirit of the law is different, Right? Hunter Shamat lost his wallet. He didn't think he'd get it back. He'd been on a flight uh, from, um, let's see, he was on his way to a wedding in South Dakota, his sister's wedding in Las Vegas. Uh, he was a um, flight from Omaha to Denver. And when he got off the plane, his wallet remained wedged in the seat there. And the guy that was seated next to him found it later. And he opened it and noticed that, you know, he had $60 in it. He had a debit card in it. And, uh, and he had a, a check from an employer that was signed. Okay? So this guy, Todd Brown is his name, found it. Fortunately for Hunter, Todd was a Christian. And he mailed everything back and then some. He put some money in it into his wallet. He he rounded up the sixty dollars to a hundred dollars. And this is what he said. He said, I, I wanted to make sure you got this back. I know you need it. I rounded your cash up to an even hundred so you could celebrate getting your wallet back. Have fun. And somebody asked him about this. They said, Why'd you do it? He said, Well, um I saw he was just a kid, 20 years old, he had a paycheck in there, so I figured, well, he's doing his best to make ends meet. He's working. I was twenty once, and that's a lot of money for a kid. So he decided not to give the wallet to the flight crew. I thought about it, but I just wanted to make sure he got it back. And so one of uh, one of um, Hunter's friends, his sister, I think, posted again on Facebook and gushed about Brown and said, I, I personally want to thank Todd Brown for restoring faith that there are amazing people out there. The world is not a grim, as grim as it's uh, being made out to be, she wrote. Brown never expected to get so much attention. I just wanted to do the right thing. It always feels good to do the right thing. But he, he went beyond that, didn't he? He didn't do just the letter of the law, which would have been return the kid's wallet intact, but he went an extra mile and blessed him in the process, the spirit of the law, right? Out of the heart, out of the heart, not just doing what we begrudgingly feel like we have to do. Okay, I beat that topic enough. questions? Annie?